Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. So glad to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, Pastor Chris is at man camp, and so uh, with a bunch of other guys, and so I have the privilege to be here with you this Sunday uh, and bring to you God's word. So I'm really excited about that, and uh, today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going through this series called Rooted. And uh, I think kind of just to, just to remind us of kind of what we're going through here is that uh, Peter is speaking to uh, Christians in like kind of the northern Turkey area. And he calls them um, like scattered um, like did, uh, exiles, basically. He talks about as being exiles. And so, you know, there's these, there are these Christians that are scattered ar- ar- around. And... Um, he's calling them to remember their identity of who, what it means to be a Christian, even though they're not, you know, in Jerusalem. They're not close to all the other Christians. They're kind of scattered about. And, um, you know, there's a a large cultural part of, of being a Christian that's not like, you know, in Jerusalem for them, right? So these are, and these are Christians, and originally we think about it like, oh, they're talking about Jewish people who are Christians who are um, scattered about. That's kind of what the context of exiles is, but that's not actually what he's talking about. Um, there are some, some Jewish Christians there, but a lot of these Christians are actually Gentiles that believed, and he's like tying the two together that even though you're not Jewish, you're Christian, and you're a part of a new culture, and so being rooted is being in a culture that's not a Christian culture, but still having like a lot of Christian identity. And so what does that look like? And that's kind of what Peter's exploring in this, in this whole book. And so what it reminds me of is how a lot of times we're not aware of the culture that we grew up in. We're not aware of the culture that we live in because we, we were born in it. We were raised in it. And, you know, there are family rules in our household that we got from generations and generations past, right? And uh, I didn't realize how much um, I, had, I bring with me until really as a, as a kid when I, uh, when I went overseas, you realize that all the things that you consider culturally normal— um, aren't necessarily culturally normal somewhere else. So you, you have a lot of, like, assumptions, a lot of, like, just taking for granted that, you know, like, you know, the, the, the I don't know, that the, the laws of the land are going to take care of you and all this kind of stuff. And um, I had an experience when I was in, uh, I was, I took a youth group down to Mexico um, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I'm getting older now. Um, and uh, we had about 20 kids, 25 kids, and we went down to Mexico to serve uh, in the, the province of Sonora, and it's like 12 hours south of the border. So we got two 15-passenger vans, loaded them up with, with teenagers and a couple leaders, and we drove from here uh, in Washington all the way down to the border, and then, you know, across the border, and then it was like hours and hours. And, you know, like, when you're close to the border, there's a lot of uh, American ways, and people are familiar with Americans being there, and there's a lot of, like, just understanding, and, you know, you, they sometimes take advantage of Americans, but, um, you know, there's just a lot of kinds. But when you get, like, 
12 hours south of the border, right? Like, they're just not, people have not seen Americans in real life. So they're like, like staring at you, you know, like, like you're, you're weird there. And um, so we went down there and we were helping um, a church down there and uh, doing some projects and stuff. And uh, just the story that is re- reminded me of the, of the cultural differences is that we had decided um, that we were going to go down to the beach uh, on a Sunday with the church, the local church, and they were going to do a, a service on the beach and do a bunch of baptisms. And so we were supporting that, and we had, uh, the, the beach was about an hour's walk from the town that we lived in, and most of the people were walking. And so we decided we would do is we would take one of our 15 passenger vans and pack all of the kids and all of the Americans in one, and then in the other one, we were going to take as many of like the women and children from the town uh, to the beach so we could have this service. And because I grew up in Colombia as a missionary kid, I spoke decent Spanish. I was the one elected to, to drive. So I'm the driver, I'm in the seat, and there's the whole packed van. I mean, we're talking like we probably had 30 plus people in this 15 passenger van. It was packed. Kids on laps, babies on kids on laps. Like it was packed. I don't even know if everyone had a seat. It was just jam-packed in there, and so we start driving, and it's, you know, we're just, we're just driving. I don't really know where we're going, and there's a guy sitting in the co-captain's chair, and he's like, yeah, just, just keep, keep driving on this road, right? So I'm just driving along, driving along. I'm looking at him, and he's like, yeah, just keep going. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know where I'm going. I'm like in the middle of nowhere, literally. It's desert, hot, like probably, I don't know, probably 110 degrees, uh, Sunday afternoon, and I'm driving along, and uh, we kind of come through this little town, and I'm like looking at him, like, do I turn? Do I not? And he's like, no, just keep straight on this road. So I'm like, okay. So I go, and I come up to an intersection, and I kind of slow down. He's like, keep going, keep going. So I keep going through, and I get to the next intersection, and I just kind of keep going through it, and all of a sudden, boom, I got T-boned by another car going through an intersection. Boom. And everyone in the van like screams, and the van kind of like tips. We didn't tip over, but it's like this giant dent in the side of, of the car. And um, I'm like, what do I do? What do I do, right? And I look out, and um, you know, there's people. There's, a, there's a, like a Jeep or something. And, um, and we're, you know, we're, we're getting out. I'm getting out of the car to go talk to them. And meanwhile, like there's two guys jump out of the Jeep, and they go to the back of the Jeep. And they have a, a giant cooler in there, and they grab it, and they take off with it. Now, um, I don't know if it was full of beer, but it was pretty heavy. So I'm guessing that they probably hadn't drank an, too much beer at that point in time. But it's Sunday afternoon, and that's like what they were, they were confiscating whatever was in that cooler because the police showed up. And the police go up, and I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to this guy. And I'm like, well, you hit me. And they say, well, actually, you're at fault, you American. And I was like, oh, why am I at fault? And they're like, well, uh, you ran a stop sign. And I was like, there is no stop sign. Oh, yeah, yeah, but like, there used to be a stop sign there. Like, five years ago, but, that, but I was like, how am I supposed to know there was a stop sign there? So I'm like, arguing or whatever, and then, the, you know, the police are like, well, you're right, we're not sure. Um, they're like, but are you drunk to me? And I was like, no, I'm not drunk, I'm going to this church thing, whatever. And they look at the other guy, he's like, you drunk? And he's like, no, I'm not drunk, sir. No, I'm not drunk. And he's like, okay, well, we have to take you to the doctor now. So they put me in a car and drive me to the doctor. Oh, also, <laughs> so um, we had, um, 
we had been, so this is actually on the way back when this happened. So we'd gone there and come back, and I was dropping people off, like, in their towns. And um, all I was wearing is flip-flops and, like, swim trunks. I didn't have a wallet. I had nothing on me, nothing on me. I may have had a shirt. I'm not sure. I think I had a shirt with me and, like, put it on as I got out, like a button-down shirt. I'm just like, we've been at the beach. And so they take me, and... Um, uh, they take me to this, uh, to this house, and we go into this house, and we sit in the living room, by, uh, and this guy comes out, apparently he's the doctor, and he goes, you drunk? I was like, no, I'm not drunk. He's like, that'll be $10. So I, I must have, I, either I or somebody with me, I, must have, I don't remember having any money on me, but we had enough money to give him there. And then the other guy comes in, and he goes, are you drunk? He's like, nope. Pay up. So we both like paid the doctor and he wrote a note, this guy's not drunk. And then we get back in the police car and we get, we get to the police station. So I'm at the police station now and they're like, you're American, right? I'm like, yeah, you know, do you live here? I'm like, no, I don't live here. And they're like, well, you're a flight risk. So you're going to have to stay here until we clear this matter up. The other guy can go home. We know him. He's the mayor's son. So he's, he's gone. There's me sitting there at the, at the police station. I'm like, okay, well, this will be fine. We'll work, we'll work all this out, you know. Uh, I'm like, keep telling myself, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Um, and I'm sitting there, and they're like, okay, so it's your, you don't think it's your fault. I'm like, no, it's not my fault. Here's why. Da, 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 da. And he goes, you know, you might be right. So you're going to have to see the judge, and we'll let the judge decide. And I was like, okay, fine, let's go before the judge. Like, I feel pretty confident about my thing. And he's like, yeah. So we have like a circuit judge, and he comes through like once a month, and he was here last weekend. So we're going to have to put you in a cell, and when he comes, uh, we'll let you go before him. You can plead your case, you know. And I was like, really? And he's like, yep, that's what we're going to do. And so the cells, you come in, the, the, the police station is just like a block building, and then there's like a block, huge block wall surrounding like a yard and then there are these outdoor block cells with bars on them and there's people in there and that's their you're outside um and um and that's all there's and they don't feed you there it you you depend on your family and other people to bring you food so they're going to put you in this cell for a month and then when the when the you know when the judge come, you can go before the judge and plead your case and whatever. And I'm sitting there like, I'm not going to survive. Luckily, I mean, I, there's a church, there's people, there's, you know, people are going to have to like bring me meals or something. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, this is like what's going through my mind. And um, there I am in the middle of nowhere and not sure what's going to happen. Well, luckily, uh, the local pastor um, shows up and like he's well respected in the community and he comes in he's like oh yeah, yeah let's get let's get oh so he pulled me out of the cell and we're like i'm in a little like interrogation room or whatever and he's he's talking to the guy and i understand i understand pretty i'm speaking pretty good spanish this time and i hear him talking to him and, and the pastor says this he's like you know he's probably guilty right and the guy and the guy's like yeah he's probably guilty he's like let's just say he's guilty he's like well, if he's guilty he's gonna have to pay the fine he's like well, how much is the fine oh it's fifty dollars like, okay, so he pays the fine. Like, yeah, but that guy gets $50, and that guy gets $50, and that guy gets $50. And the guy, and the pastor's like, that's what we're going to have to do. So we went around and paid everybody $50, paid the fine, and we got, I got to go free. 
And that was my experience in a Mexican jail um, way far away. And you think about it, you're like, there's, how, how does anybody ever get any justice, right? Like in your mind, it just, it doesn't, the, the culture's just so different. And uh, the pastor was not, he didn't blink an eye at it. He was just like, okay, I understand what's going on here. We have to, we have to jump through the cultural hoops that they have in place there. Now, I'm not saying they were good. I'm not saying they were fair. I'm not saying they're right. But the, the pastor was like, this is what the culture dictates. This is what we have to do. And what it reminds me of is like, we have our own cultural norms and our own cultural practices here in the Northwest, here in America. And we have not even taken a look to see like, are these God-honoring? Is this what God wants us to do? Is this how God wants us to live? We're just like, well, this is what Americans do. This is what Northwesterners do, and I'm a Northwesterner. And in this passage and in this whole book, Peter's trying to call them, say, you got to look at yourself as a follower of Jesus first. The American, the cultural stuff, that comes second, and yes, you're going to be a part of it, but you need to, to see yourself first as a follower of Jesus. And that kind of changes your perspective on things. You can say, oh, this isn't right. Um, this isn't why God would want me to behave, even if the rest of the culture does want me to behave that way. So, so that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> Long way to say. Uh, the cultural, and I think that we just, we're blind so much to our own culture and what we experience because it's what we've always raised with. So um, today I'm going to get into 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And um, Peter actually starts with this like huge cultural like conversation. But before we get there, I want to go right to the heart of this passage because I feel we can, we can lose it, lose what Peter's trying to say here if we don't go to the heart. So we're going to read the first, we're going to read 1 Peter 4, 8, and Peter says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So he goes through this whole passage, and we'll get through the rest of the stuff in the passage. But right in the middle, he's like, above all, above all, all the stuff I'm telling you, the most important thing for you to remember is to keep loving one another earnestly. Um, and this is this command to love one another and love people is throughout. Like it's in the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in the New Testament, it's all over the place. Uh, John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I want to start unpacking this cultural thing because I think that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we think, yeah, we do a pretty good job at loving one another, right? Yeah, we love people. We love one another. And I want to say that, like, I don't know that we have a good reputation of being loving. Jesus people don't have a great reputation in today's era of being extremely loving. And... Um, and if you, you say, well, yeah, we, we kind of do. And they say, yeah, well, well, think about how many denominations there are out there. Like, the Christian church is like, hey, we got the right theology. This is it right here. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, you don't agree with that? You're going to have to have your own church. It's like, we can't hang out with you guys because you have a different theology. And then we have, like, thousands of denominations, right? And, and, and it just over and over again, we've, like, separated and, and we've broken friendships and relationships with people because— we really don't understand this concept of what it means to love our brothers, love one another. Um, 
and I've been really struck by this in my own life, and I've been wrestling with this. It's my own life. Um, one of my, my favorite pastors, I uh, call him Pastor Pete Scazzaro, he says, like, the mark of, um, of Christian, no, the mark of spiritual maturity is how well we love people, right? And we think, oh, the mark of, you know, maturity, spiritual maturity is like how many verses I have memorized or, you know, how much I give on a Sunday. I don't know. We, we have these weird things that we kind of put up in our head as, as, right? And we have all these things, but we don't often go to like, how well do I love people? Because that actually can be pretty humbling when you start thinking about the people that we love and the people that we have really hard time loving, right? Not everybody feels comfortable coming into a Christian church. If you're not a Christian, you probably are feeling awkward coming into a Christian church because we have a bit of our own culture, which is good, but also we as Christians don't know how to really be hospitable often. And um, he says like in this John 13, he says like you need to love people like Jesus loved people. You got to think about Peter. Peter walked with Jesus and he saw Jesus loving people like in crazy ways, right? Like he's walking around and he's like, He's like, oh, there's some children. Hey, hold on, hold on. I know I'm preaching. I'm here, here. I need to talk to these kids here, right? And he's like looking at them, dignifying them, paying attention to them, saying, hey, you're valuable and important, and I'm going to spend time with these three kids, and I have thousands of people who want to talk to me. He's like, I'm going to love on these kids. And he walks, and there's, you know, the the paralytics, which in those cultures, like in, when I grew up in Colombia, it was known that if you were a paralytic, or if you had some issues, you, like, your life was just a beggar. Like, that was, that was your life stance. They just believed, like, that's what God wanted for you, is you're going to have a life of suffering, and you, you get a lower status. We try to elevate in our culture, at least, you know, people who have, who have disabilities to have wheelchair ramps, and we try to advocate for their rights. That's something that Americans do, but this culture didn't. But he would stop what he's doing, to heal the paralytics or the diseased people. I mean, you see somebody who's, if someone walked around here and was like, hey, I've got COVID, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna stay, I'm gonna keep my distance, right? And, and Jesus was like, he, would, he wouldn't just heal them. He wouldn't say, hey, you over there, you're healed. He would like touch them. These, like these people who had leprosy, which was like communicable by touching. And he would touch them and say, I love you. And he lived his life in this way. I mean, prostitutes. I mean, you name it. Jesus is like getting in there. I mean, they were mad at Jesus. The Pharisees were mad at Jesus because he was at the tax collector's house hanging out with sinners and prostitutes. Like, hanging out is a general term. But he's like saying, hey, you have value and you have worth. And I care about you. I feel like we look, I look at our lives. I look at my life. I'm not trying to, um, honestly, not trying to shame us at all. We don't love like Jesus loves. So when Peter's sitting there and he's like, you know what, we need to love like Jesus loved. That's the thing, when, when the disciples look back on Jesus' life, they were like, man, if there's one thing that guy did well, and Jesus did a lot of things well, he loved people. He knew how to love people. I mean, we just went through the um, Easter season, and uh, on Good Friday we talked a little bit about Peter denying Jesus. Peter denies Jesus, I don't know him, I don't like that guy, I don't know, I care about him, you know. And then Jesus like looks at him, and they have their eyes meet. And I can't help but think, what is, you know, in our minds we're thinking, Jesus is probably going, I'm so disappointed in you. But I'm telling you, Jesus was looking at him and loving him. And was like, this smile, like, it's okay, Peter, I still love you. 
You're not beyond the reach of my grace. You're not beyond the reach of my love. I still love you. I still have love for you. Peter's like, we need to love like that. That's the kind of love I know when I, met, when I walked with Jesus. It's a different kind of love. And in fact, I'll even read this verse here. Um, this is a, one of my favorite stories about Jesus' love. Uh, Mark 10, 21 and 22. Um, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. So this rich guy comes up. He's like, how do I get into heaven? And like, what do I need to do? He's like, I've like followed the, all the rules, all the laws. I just want to know. And it says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. And then said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all you have to the poor. Because he realized that his, his, his treasure was his, his God, was the thing he really worshipped. And he's like, you're going to have to get rid of that cultural thing that you love so much. You're going to have to, like, let go of that if you're, going to, if you're going to really have a relationship with me. And it says he walked away saddened. So Jesus looked at him and loved him, and the person turned his back on Jesus and walked away and said, I can't, I can't follow you. You want my money. But Jesus still loved him, right? How many times do we see somebody like, well, that guy's beyond God's love. I mean, we, we judge. We're so quick to judge. We're so quick to, to not extend God's love, um, and I know it was something that we need to, we need to work on. Um, one of the things of just, he talks about loving people earnestly because it c- covers a multitude of sins. And the covered of multitude of sins is not, covers up a multitude of sins. Like, hey, yeah, we're not going to tell anybody about that because I love you. I'm not going to like, but covers a multitude of sin is like how Jesus' blood covers the multitude of our sins. It's, it's called like forgiveness. Right? If we love each other, we're, we're going to lead with forgiveness. Right? So when your friend, your, your brother in Christ sins against you, does something mean, does something wrong, disagrees with you on Facebook, whatever it is, our first response is, oh, I forgive you. I'm sure you didn't mean that. We love Jesus. Right? We love Jesus. I, how am I going to hold that against you? Jesus doesn't hold anything against me. He's forgiven me. How can I not forgive you? And, and culturally, somehow through the years, we've kind of, I don't know, we've been beaten up a lot as Christians, and we felt like we need to like defend our territory, and we need to stand up for what's right, which I do think we need to stand up for what's right, but to the point where we're ready to like beat people up, even our own Christian brothers, in order to somehow live for Jesus. And Peter's like, no, the most important thing is we, we have to be loving to a place where people are like, I don't, I don't believe in their Jesus, but they know how to love people. I mean, they love people better than anybody I know, right? Like, that's what people should talk about. They can, they can be offended about the fact that we follow Jesus and we believe that he rose from the dead and that he was God. Those things are crazy to people who are, like, scientific-brained and don't believe in Jesus. But if, if we love people, there's something there. There's something there. So, um, you know, just real quick here— um, there are people, and I don't even, I don't have to say that, there are people that could, will come into our church that will probably not feel loved immediately. And it, it would be, it should be for us, whether it's in a church or people that you, your neighbor, your friends, that we need to be extra like loving towards people who you know just feel that like distance. Like that's something that we need to lead with. And I'll, I'll stop there. So today I have four ways in which we, um, how we can learn 
to love uh, people better. So um, what I'm not trying to do is, right now, I laid down a huge guilt trip, right? Everyone's like, okay, guilty, oh yeah, right? I'm, honestly, I don't think the problem is that you need to like be bashed because you're not loving good enough. I think there are other issues, and we're going to get into here, of why we fail to love. And so I'm going to give you guys some, some things that the Bible says that, that will, will spur love in us. That we Because I can't just tell you, love better, and you're like, okay, I'm going to love better. Like, that, that's not how it works. We need it to grow in us. We need God's love to be in us and grow through us. So we're going to get to that. Uh, but I have four, four ways in which uh, we can learn to love people better. So first one— um, is stop doing what Americans do. Second one is start soaking in God's love. Third one is share what we have. And fourth is let God's love flow through us. Okay, so those are, those are the, the four main points we're going to talk about, and I'm breaking it up in here, but we're going to go back to the cultural piece, because I think a lot of this is rooted in our culture, and we, we're not realizing that, like, we are bringing this stuff with us when we become Christians. And we're like, yeah, this is, I'm a Christian, and I'm a Northwesterner, and this is how we do things. And um, we got we to kind of let God, Jesus, kind of dig at the root of, of the cultural stuff here. Okay, so um, we're going to start, we're going to go back up to, to 1 Peter 4, starting in 1, and we're going to come through verse 6, and it says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh— Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Okay, so that's like a pretty difficult passage. So like, okay, what is he saying here? It starts out and talks about, uh, therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh. And, and he's literally going back, like, let's go back to the gospel, right? And earlier in that in the, in the passage, in chapter 13, uh, chapter 3, I didn't realize we didn't have chapter and verse breaks back when Peter wrote this, right? So just like five verses earlier, in 1 Peter 3, 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So he's like, let's just go back to how this all got. Jesus came to die, to, to suffer, to pay for our sins. Like, this is like the root of all of this stuff. He came to um, bring us to God. And then he's like, okay, so in, if you follow God, um, what does that mean? And one of the things that people were saying back then is they were like, you know what? Christianity is so different than, than other religions because it doesn't depend on our goodness, right? So the gospel is that Jesus saves us despite our sins, not because of all the good works that we do, right? We're not God wants us to do good works. He wants us to live for him, but that's not how we get saved. That's not how we get in a great relationship. We receive it as a gift, right? And so people were like, so does that mean I can keep sinning? And in Romans, it's like, should we therefore continue to sin that grace may abound? Like, this is something that if we truly understand what the gospel is, we should wrestle with this. Because 
you know, following rules. I mean, okay, you're a Christian, you got to do all these right things and wrong things, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm locked in, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, none of that matters. I want you to love me, and um, I'm going to pay for your sins, so you can't earn anything. So then you're like, well, what if I sin? He's like, yeah, I'll pay for it. So what if I sin big? Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to pay for it. But what if I really do something to hurt somebody? He goes, yeah, I'm going to still love you. And we need, to let, we need to sit in that love of God before we move on to, to trying to, like, do right things, right? Because, and that challenges us. Like, Whoa, we, I, can, I, I can keep sinning then. And theoretically, yes, you can keep sinning, and God will love you. The thing is that when we receive God's love, it changes us. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want I don't want to sin. I don't want God to look at me and be like, I love you still. That was the wrong thing to do, but I love you still. I love this God. I want to follow him. I want to, I want to leave the, so he's like, the point of Jesus, he died. He paid the price for our sins. But as Christians, we also need to, you know, put away sin. We need to work on, you know, removing that stuff that God has paid for. Um, and so, and that may require us to suffer. So, Another thing I hear people say is, like, hey, you're going to get a Christian. You're going to become a Christian, and then your life's going to be great. You're going to be healthy and wealthy and wise, right? And you're going to walk around and, like, just blessings, like, all your businesses are going to go well and everything. And in this, in, in back in the day when this was happening, it was the opposite. You had a nice business. You were doing well, and then you became a Christian. You're like, okay, so I'm not able to do, I don't want to do this stuff anymore. You know, I'm going to live for Jesus. And then their businesses suffered. And people wouldn't come shop at their stores, right? And things changed for them, and they suffered. And they were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I love Jesus now. Isn't this supposed to, like, you know, heap on blessings? And he's like, no, when, you, when we stop sinning, we start living for Jesus, things change in us. It, it changes. And also, it may not always work out for our good. Um, and then he reminds them, he's like, we can't continue to do what the Gentiles are doing, Okay thing is that these people were mostly Gentiles. So it's like saying to us, you guys can't keep doing what, what Americans do. You're like, whoa, what? Because Gentiles are just like non-Jews. In general, Americans were, were non-Jews. I and mean, there are Jews that are Americans. But you know what I mean? We don't identify. So he's like, yeah, you got to stop doing the things that Americans do. You got to stop doing the things that the Northwesterners do. Like think about all these labels that we kind of, we embrace. And we're like, yeah, this is us. This is us, right? Uh, and we can go deeper than that as well. Um, you know, we can say, you know, we got to, you know, <laughs> we got to not stop doing what the Republicans do or the Democrats do, right? Like, we, we get so identified with, like, a people group that this is our people, right? And, and he's like, no, you are first and foremost a follower of Jesus. That's your first identity. We have these other identities that we dabble in, but we have to make sure that, that Jesus is first in this. Um, and I think about this, like, what, is, what do Americans do? Let's just kind of touch on this, this culturally stuff that we sometimes don't see, right? The American dream, right? To, to make money, to make ourselves a better place than our folks had, right? To, to, to you know, pursue, you know, success and life and happiness. And uh, my question is, is, what if American dream is not God's dream for you? Right? We think, well, the American dream, that's, that's our right, that's what it means to be an American. It's like, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus necessarily, right? 
Uh, I mean, Americans, you know, we are busy people, right? Time is money, right? We're work, we work all the time. We work hard. You know, we, we get our value from working. And, uh, and is that what Jesus is calling us to do? Like, we, we think of these things as like, this is what people do. This is what good humans do. And a lot of that is built into our culture. And we need to, to say, Jesus, is this what you have for us to do? Uh, a couple other things uh, I think Americans do. I mean, we, we're really uh, addicted, probably not just Americans, really addicted to like expressing our strong opinions on social media. I don't know why, but Americans were like, yeah, I got free speech and I'm going to let everyone know what I think. Um, but maybe that's not what God wants us to do. Um, we're also obsessed with experiences, right? We want, we want to do all the, we want to do all the things. We want to jump out of airplanes, and if not, we want to go to one of those skydive places where we can feel like we're doing it, right? Like, whatever it is, we want to, we want to experience it all. We want to take pictures of it. We want to post it online so everyone can see all the fun that we're having. Um, and Jesus is calling, um, calling, Peter's calling them to, like, we have to, like, realize that we can't no longer do what just what our culture tells us what to do. Now, the, the, uh, the people, the Cappadocians where he was talking to, like, do you hear the, the list of things that they were doing? Um, I'll read it real quickly, but it's pretty, uh, you know, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. You're like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing those kinds of things, right? And that, that's kind of where we stop. But I started doing some research on the Cappadocians, and, and this is like northern Turkey, uh, they had a very slow growth of Christianity. Christianity did not do well there. Um, and they actually had like a lot of heavy snows in their year. They had like two months of the year. They couldn't even like leave their houses. There were no roads. They had to just kind of like hull up in there. You never think of snow in Bible times, right? You think, oh, desert, hot, everything's. No, they had tons of snow. And they were known for being tough. In fact, there was an ancient saying that said, a, a venomous viper bit a Cappadocian and the snake died right? Like, they were known to be these, like, rough and tough people. Um, think the Vikings, right? That's these people. They were rough. Um, they were considered by other people around to be worthless, deceitful, selfish, and brutal, right? These guys were not very lawless, right? And they, they didn't have a very long life expectancy, and they didn't believe in the afterlife. So they were like, you know what? eat, drink, because tomorrow we die. And they, they embraced it. They're like, I'm going to probably die tomorrow, right? So they drank a lot, and they had wild parties. When they could, when it wasn't snowing, you know, they were like, okay, let's, like, they had, and they were abused. They were sought after as slaves. People were like, you know what? You want a good slave? You got to get a Cappadocian. Those guys work so hard, <laughs> you know? They're tough as nails. So these people got abused and beaten up, and they, were, they weren't like the Vikings were like, you know, no one, no, none shall pass kind of thing. They were like, you know, raiders would come in and steal them so that they could, their kids or whatever. And so they just had this like rough life, like abused life, like no hope. You know, they were always poor. They were, had like mining. They did a lot of mining. But for some reason, they were always, they were never, um, they never profited from it. They, they, they would get their stuff stolen. They would not get paid fairly. They, they, just, they just had a really rough life. And when you have a rough life and you've been abused and you've been broken, like your soul is crying. Can you, can you just hear their souls crying out? Like, I want to feel worth. I want to feel loved. 
And so what do they do? Well, they, they fill that hole with other things, right? Alcohol, drugs. I mean, our society does the same thing too. We're maybe not quite as, well, we get abused in different ways, right? And their souls are, are longing, truly longing for God, but they're filling those things with other things. Wild parties and, and whatever they can do, and this is even brutalness. Like, they're like, listen, I've been abused, so it's like a dog-eat-dog world, so you either steal from somebody else before they steal from you, right? That's the culture that they're living in. He's like, listen, you're now Christians, and that's going to mean that you're going to have to put aside what it means to be a Cappadocian, and you have to live like Jesus. Well, if you live like Jesus, they probably got even more abused, because if they're not stealing before they get stolen from, they're not taking what they want, they probably felt a lot of pressure. Um, and I think we need to have a heart. When we see people who are living for themselves, they're seeking drugs and alcohol or whatever these things are, they're looking for God. They're looking for love. They're looking for their souls to be at home with our Savior. Like our, our, our hearts should break for them and say, I, I know that you may not be willing to hear this or see this, but there is something greater than the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and the pornography and the whatever it is that you're pursuing that you think is going to really like make you whole we do know something that's going to make you whole as we start out we have to start out realizing as americans as christians first and americans second that we have to kind of stop just doing the american life and be like okay we need to find our worth not in our jobs but in Jesus, not in what people say on social media, but in Jesus, not in the political parties, but in Jesus. Our hope for our nation is in Jesus, not in the president, right? Like, this is, these are obvious things to us, but we need to be reminded because culturally, we just get, we're, you know, we feel like we're the crazy ones because everyone in the culture around us are saying, like, no, you, if you work hard, you'll be rich, and if you're rich, you'll be happy, and if you vote right, you'll have a good government, and then your government will take care of you, and life will be great, and you'll go old, and you'll have a nice life. And uh, Jesus is like, that's actually not how it works. But we as Christians, when we follow Jesus, we feel like we're the crazy ones. <laughs> we have to realize that our culture is wired differently because they are broken and abused, and they need Jesus. Okay, I'm going to move on because we're running low on time here. Okay, so second one. We start soaking in God's love. So um, this is uh, 1 Peter 4, 7. Um, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And I think we get hung up on the sober-minded. We're like, oh, we just talked about drunkenness, so we're going to be sober so that like, God answers our prayers. And honestly, we've been talking about this all the youth. Um, is we kind of have a shallow view of prayers, right? We think of prayers as like we're rubbing a magic lamp. And if you want God to obey you, I'm saying that word purposely, you better be sober, right? Because that's how it works. You do your work, and then God rewards you with working for you. That's not how it works. I'll just tell you, that's not how it works. God's never looked at our goodness as like, yeah, well, he's good enough, therefore I can be good towards him. That's not how Jesus works, right? And so what he's saying here, and I believe here, is that the key to loving people, to seeing people for their eye, is our prayers, is our prayer life. Um, and I, what I titled this as we start soaking in God's love. It starts to talk about like the end of all things is at hand. 
And um, a lot of times they thought, okay, Jesus has died to the cross for sins. There's nothing left for us to do. This is like the end of the age. This is the last chapter. And so they literally thought that Jesus could come at any moment. And he still can come at any moment. Um, therefore, our prayer life needs to be really important. And um, when Jesus, before he started his ministry, if you guys remember, when Jesus started his ministry, he got baptized. And when he came out of the water, Matthew 3, 17 says this, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I would say that this is what we all long to hear from our fathers, our earthly fathers. You are much loved. I'm proud of you. You are enough. I love you exactly how, who you are. Right? Can you imagine how different we'd be if we felt those things deep in our soul? Right? And my prayer life has changed in, in the last few years um, where I spend time soaking in these kinds of words. So this morning, of course, I knew I was preaching, and I knew I was preaching about this. I sat quietly and just let God speak those words over me. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. So therefore, what God said of Jesus is true of us. So when God looks at us, he says, that's my beloved son. That's my beloved daughter. That's my kid right there. I love him so much. So I just sat there and was like, God loves me. God loves me. I had to say, I have 30 minutes of just telling myself that God loves me and that God accepts me. I don't have to earn anything. God loves me. God accepts me. God loves me. God accepts me. I'm deeply loved by him, and he's pleased with me. Right? If we can get that deep in our soul, that changes everything. It literally changes everything, and I'll, 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 uh, I'll prove it to you. Um, um, you guys ever remember being in middle school? I'm sure you have. Middle school is the worst. Um, uh, and, you know, everyone, your bodies are changing, everything's changing, and you go every day to middle school thinking, like, is anybody going to love me? Am I weird? Are they going to make fun of me? And I got made fun of a ton because I had come back from Columbia in, like, sixth grade, and I had no anything. And I didn't know any swear words, which is a good thing, except for when you're in public middle school. It's, it's not a good thing. You should know what you shouldn't say. Um, uh, and I didn't have it. I had only had one pair of jeans. I only owned one pair of jeans, which I remember getting made fun of for because it was, like, the same pair of jeans all the time. Um, and we, are, we feel so self-conscious about who we are that the moment that you see somebody you can pick on, you pick on. I got picked on a ton until halfway through the year a new kid came and I just started picking on him. And I should know better because I got picked on. I would come home crying because everyone was making fun of me, so I found someone else to make fun of. And I believe that the reason why we don't love people well is because we feel threatened by other people. We feel like, are they going to love me? Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not confident in who I am. I'm not confident in my faith. I'm not confident that someone's going to love me and accept me and that I'm good enough, that I got to somehow earn it and prove it. And if somebody comes in that feels like a threat to that, 
you know, they believe something different. Now I gotta, I gotta attack that. Instead of being like, I'm so full of God's love that I'm not looking for you to accept me. In fact, I did that purposely because I know I'm coming up here and you guys are all looking at me. And I know that I may not always say things that you guys like. And I could say, oh, what if I say that and he doesn't like that? And what if, I, you know, I'm like, you know what? God loves me and he accepts me, period. Even if I bomb, he loves me and accepts me. Okay, we're gonna keep going here. So, um, 1 Peter 1, 4, 9, he says, so love, so he goes, he gets into that love, everybody, right? Love comes and moves in. And then 9, it says, uh, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I think that we do this a lot, is that we um, say, okay, we need to be hospitable, we need to be nice to people. So we do nice things, and then we grumble about it. We complain about it. I, uh, my sister-in-law asked to park her RV in my yard. I have a long driveway, I have a farm, I've got some space. I said, yeah, sure, you can. So she parked her RV on, in, my, in my yard, and, um, you know, I felt good about it, right? And I felt good enough about it that I should tell other people so that they would know that I did good things. This is how twisted we are. I'm just being honest. And then, two years later, it was still parked there, and she's living in it. And my, like, bragging about how good I am turns to grumbling, right? And I'm talking to my wife, and I'm talking to my friends. I'm like, this guy, they got it. She's got to go, like, you know. And, and he says here that we're supposed to show hospitality without grumbling. This is that loving. When we realize when we're full of love, then we are, we are loving people. We are showing hospitality of, out of an overflow. When someone comes into your life, and they're needy, and you have nothing to give, it feels like an assault, right? Like, hey, I need some money. Like, yeah, I need some money too, right? Like, (laughs) this doesn't work. But like when God's love is full, and you have, you have full God's love in your heart, you have more to give. Um, so he says, the mark of a Christian is hospitality. It's sharing. Can you imagine the Cappadocians, what that looked like? Like, oh, you know what? You need a camel? Have my camel. Yeah, take it. I'm sure you'll return it, right? They were supposed to be hospitable to people. And this is even within Christian. I mean, they were like, not everybody was like, it's like it wasn't all mutuality. Like, you're a Christian, you're a Christian? Yeah, we'll share with you, my brother. And then he's like, well, you know, possessions, nine-tenths of the law, right? So now it's mine. You know, and th- this kind of thing had to be rampant during these times, right? And they were just like, you gotta, you gotta be hospitable. You gotta look at your stuff as that it's God's stuff and that God's entrusted it to you to share with other people. So this doesn't mean that you have to be rich to help people. Just like, what do you have? And how can you share it with others, right? Maybe all you have is time. Share it with others. Maybe you have, like I had an extra car. This is, no, I'm not going to tell you. I had an extra car, and uh, my neighbor needed it, and I lent it to him. I'm saying that now, feeling like I'm bragging about it. I'm really not trying to, but, but when you have something extra you're not using, that has no value to you, and somebody else it could be valuable to, you can share what you have with other people. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is like the, the tangible outworkings of this love that God's lavished on us, that it would pour into us and pour others. We can be hospital just making other people feel welcome, uh, smiling at people, acknowledging people. I know it's really hard sometimes when you see somebody who's weird to look them in the eyes and be like, hi, and think of your heart, you know, that person's valuable. Um, I forget who it was, but uh, one of the, one of the, um, earlier church father says that, look at everyone as though Jesus is in them. So when a stranger comes into your midst, you treat him like he's actual Jesus. You're like, 
Jesus is at your house. You're like, yeah, um, sit here. Let me get you some food. Like, what do you want? Some coffee? I got some really good coffee. Like, you know, how would you treat him? And like, well, well, this is actually a homeless person. I, just homeless is like an easy target. And I'm not trying to, but like people you wouldn't normally want to be hospitable to. How do we treat them more like Jesus rather than a threat? Just, just challenging. There's, there's a lot of different ways. There's not a clear way to, to do all of this, but I want you guys to start thinking differently on this stuff. Helping a neighbor, lending your tools, just listening to other people, letting people tell their stories. You know, sometimes we're like so eager to tell people that they're wrong and that they need Jesus that we haven't listened to the brokenness in their heart. We haven't even earned that right to speak Jesus to them. Um, yeah, I mean, I even think about some of the difficulty things in the church these days. Um, I would say the LGBTQ community is something that's really challenging for Christians because we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to extend love to them, to extend grace to them, to extend hospitality, and also feel like we somehow can speak truth in their lives. It's such a challenge, but I bet you that Jesus would stop what he's doing and look somebody in the eye and tell them that he loved them. And that's just kind of how Jesus run. And I think that for us, it says in Romans 2, 4, uh, do you presume the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That God, he moves in our lives through kindness. And we kind of get that wrong. We think, oh, maybe if I'm mean to somebody, they'll come to Jesus. I mean, you think about how dumb that is, right? This person clearly needs Jesus, so I'm going to let him have it. Instead of being like the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Maybe our kindness can lead other people to consider Jesus. Okay, last point here. We're wrapping this up here. Um, so we soak in God's love. We start sharing what we have. That's the hospitality piece. And at the very end here, and this one's huge too, um, it says letting God's like love flow through us. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And a couple of just thoughts on this as we wrap up is that everyone's given gifts by Jesus. Natural abilities, spirit-empowered abilities. You know, some people are gifted to speak. It talks about that here, right? If God's gifted you to speak, you should speak. If you're not speaking, you're probably not doing what God's called you to do. I don't care if you're a kid or a, a, a lady. If God's called you to, to speak or to lead or to do something, you need to follow Jesus. Let Jesus use your gift for his glory. Um, and some of it is serving. A lot of God's gifts is serving. It's like, I can do stuff, but I'm not. God's saying, serve, love people, use what you have for God's glory. The other thing in here that I want to say is that he talks, he ties it to God's glory, is that us using our gifts is uh, an act of worship. It's, it's a connection with the spiritual. And so um, it requires a deep communion with God. He talks about being empowered to speak, empowered to serve, empowered to do whatever. But that, you know where that comes from? That comes from spending time with God and letting God's love grow in you and serve out of you. There's too many people, too many pastors, too many servants of Jesus have served in their own strength and in their own talents and in their own minds, and they burn themselves out, right? 
uh, my, my, that pastor, I, I really like uh, Pastor Pete, he always says, your doing for God should never exceed your being with God. Right? Because what we do, we're like, okay, I can speak, so I'm going to come up here, and I'm going to speak, and I'm going to speak, and I'm going to speak, and speak, and then it's like, well, how much time are you spending, like, being with God, soaking in God's love? Yeah, it takes a lot of time to do that, and I've got all these things to do. It's like, we have no business. We have no business doing for God until we've been with God. We've spent time praying, listening to God. We just, we, we just get this all backwards. We think, okay, I'm going to do all this. And honestly, when we do things with our own strength and in our own might, we do it for our glory. If we have to rely on Jesus, it's for his glory. We're like, you know what, I'm up here, I'm speaking, letting God work through me, let him talk through me, and it's for God's glory because I'm spending time letting God move through me and trying to get myself out of the way rather than coming up here and being like, I know all the things about God and you're going to learn from me. I, that's, that's not how we are supposed to be. Um, so as, as we wrap up, um, if you got anything else, very, very back, we need to learn to love like Jesus. Above all, it says, First Peter 4, 8, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. And I believe that comes deeply from soaking in God's love. And if you can soak in God's love and let it fill you up, that might mean you have to take time off of work. It might mean you take time off of serving in the church. You might take time off doing anything. If you soak in God's love, think about how much more you have to give. Um, I know that um, our pastor Chris is going to be going on sabbatical here this summer, and it's really an opportunity for him to soak in God's love. Because when you get up and you preach and you give, and you give, it, it feels like you're taking what's in you and you're giving it to other people. And then you have to spend dedicated time to get that replenished. And so as, as Chris goes on sabbatical this summer, we're just, we're just praying that God would just fill him up, just soaking in this love that he's loved and he's accepted. Not based on how well he preaches or how well he drives his boat, whatever he's done doing this summer, but he's just loved by God. So I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope you can take some time, even this week, today, sometime just to soak in God's love, that he might fill you, that he might use you, that he might change the culture that's built inside us, that we would not look to the cultural things, but we would look to Jesus um, to fill us and use us. Let's pray.